It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Alex Pereira left hook to my Israel Adesanya rematch clause, Nick John Braccio III. It is good to be on with you, man. We're going to break down UFC 287, Pereira versus Adesanya. And it's a pretty good overall card. The pay-per-views have been delivering largely lately, man. It's good to be on with you, Nikolai. Yeah, man. And I'm feeling pretty good because proven to be no fluke. I'm piecing you up card by card. It's been going on for about two months now. You are on a not very good streak. And part of me is like, is he toying with me? Does he not? Does, what has what Stan lost? Yeah, you've definitely... How is Stan falling behind? How, how have my picks and my shrewd analysis <laughs> just, been, just been slicing you up? Yeah, you've been edging me by a point or two over the last, I think, four or five events, something along those lines, about, about the last month or, or six weeks. And right now you're two and a half points up. Nick, I give you all the glory. I give you all the props for being in the lead. But again, that title gets awarded at the end of the season, Broda. And uh, there's a long way to go, man. I've got a lot of time to make up two and a half points. Come on. Heck, I will give you credit. I was uh, seven or seven and a half points up this season, right? Like earlier this year. So you're definitely closing the distance. And at this point, you're ahead. So I've got a challenge in front of me, Nick, and I am motivated by it. That's what I need, some motivation, Nikolai. Um, I do think, like, there, there's just some, like, breaks. Like, sometimes the order of our picks is the difference. Sometimes you make the better picks earlier on than I do. Sometimes you take the right risks with the underdogs uh, before I get the chance to, which has worked out for you. Um, because I feel like you tend to pull the trigger on underdogs sooner than I do. And that has worked out for you uh, more often than not. Because when we tend to pick underdogs, I would say we have, like, a 50% accuracy with that. And given the level of underdogs they are, that still makes for pretty good odds if you pick two underdogs per card one of them works out for you you still got two points from two picks right so it, it's 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 almost as if you made two correct favorite picks um which which works out well man in this competition again things are interesting things are exciting and we're gonna dive into it we'll quickly cover um just a little bit of talk about that last card where we had Sanhagen basically piecing up Marlon Vera. Marlon Vera never got out of first gear, and Sanhagen put it on him, man, between his takedowns, between his consistently offensive strikes, pushing forward, cutting different angles. Marlon Vera never, ever got going, unless you count, like, maybe the last 12 seconds of that fight. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it was really just really disappointing. Um, you know, I knew and picked Sanhagen because... He's an octopus because he's got more ways to beat you, and he had the range. But Cheeto has, uh, you know, he's done damage against rangy fighters previously. Things have worked out. You know, he he completely uh, destabilized Sean O'Malley's leg. Um, but he did not, he just did not get it together. He didn't look good. He looked, uh, yeah, he looked kind of confused. And, and Sanhagen brought a full game to him. And Vera, does, you know, he does have a bit of a weakness um, on his back. We saw Aldo tie him up that way, and Sanhagen kept him there and, and just brought the fight to him, um, a, f- a full onslaught of, of varied MMA techniques uh, consistently over the 25 minutes. The story for me afterwards, you know, the fight was a bit anticlimactic because we were all expecting a bloody banger kind of like Jan Sandhagen or Dillashaw Sandhagen. Sandhagen's been in some very exciting wars. So when you put him in there with a guy who only has exciting wars, 
um, and who, who really seems to do damage when he hurts people, you have that expectation. I don't think anybody was particularly satisfied with that fight, even though um, Sanhagen was so impressive. But afterwards, the thing that I didn't understand was how it was a split decision. There was a judge who scored that fight for Marlon Chito Vera. And it's like, listen, sometimes, you know, things are close. You know, sometimes judge, like, so I, I can be more sympathetic towards, towards the judges than most. I don't see any universe where you give him two rounds. You can maybe, maybe give him one. I can yeah, see him getting a round. Um, so the idea that Vera won that fight and a professional suggested that is quite frightening. Yeah. That's one of the worst scorecards I've, I can remember seeing. I believe that was uh, Joel Ojeda, or Ojeda, I'm not sure <clears throat> how you pronounce it, but this was the guy's first. Ojeda. Yep. Uh, on MMA decisions, this is the guy's first like event that he officiated. Now, maybe he did some very low-level cards, but this is what the Texas Commission, for lack of better term does their their licensing and regulations department or whatever it is um you know it's just some weird funky business and they can put a referee in there that absolutely has no business being in there and they put a judge in there that has no business being in there and he showed why that was the case man he showed what the difference between experience and not experience is man like it's hard to get this fight wrong if you're probably like a like an eight-year-old kid watching this fight hard to imagine that marlon vera is in the lead and doing well given his lack of activity, given how just like lackadaisical he was on his back. And we've seen signs of this before. The reason that you and I had some confidence in picking Vera, the reason that there was doubt, of course, is because Vera tends to just get a knockout out of nowhere. He tends to finish a fight out of nowhere, as he did in in the last couple of his last few fights. But if you look at it, right, he Sean O'Malley, uh, it was a leg injury, but he knocked him out on the ground. That was really impressive. Lost to Jose Aldo because Jose Aldo took us back, particularly in that third round. Jose Aldo's not great in the third round, usually. David Grant was a close decision. Should have gone various way, but still a competitive decision with a with a like top bottom of the rung fifteen level guy. David Grant's good, but he's not elite. Frank Edgar was winning against him before Vera knocked him out. Rob Font Rob Font won almost every minute of that fight, besides the moments where Vera hurt him. Dominic Cruz was dominating that fight until he got knocked out in that fourth round. He did get buzzed a couple of times leading up to that, but the fact that he just consistently loses minutes of the fight before getting a knockout, you can't really rely on that against a guy as durable and as well-faceted and as, uh, as as Sanhagen. And Sanhagen showed like that he's making strides and improvements. He is working on the areas in which he is weak. He's, he's uh, game-planning better than ever. He does seem like a bright young man, and he's really putting it all together. It's good to see, man. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch between Sanhagen and Jan, given how close that fight was and the fact that Sanhagen took it on short notice, the fact that Jan is now riding a couple fight losing streak, but I think it's more likely that we see Jan face off with Vera, which would be a really intriguing matchup. And then Corey Sanhagen's, you know, he challenged Marab Devashvili. Marab Devashvili ranked as the number one contender is not going to fight his friend Aljamain Sterling. Maybe that's the matchup to go with. Uh, and and I think that's a real dangerous fight for Corey Sanhagen. Um you know, it's that Marlon Vera mentality of I'm willing to take the toughest fights on the way to the title shot. That's what prevents guys from getting the title. Almost nobody that takes that approach, unless you're a suffocating wrestler that can't be stopped, almost nobody that takes that approach makes it to the title. If you're willing to fight anybody on your way to the title as if you're defending a title already, you're probably going to lose at some point, and you might never get to that title shot. And we've seen that happen with guys like uh, Tony... Um, 
what's uh, Tony Ferguson? We, we've seen it happen to Marlon Vera in this case. We've seen it happen time and again, man. Like you, you got to be more selective about the matchups you pick. And for that reason, Sanhagen's going to have a harder time making it to that title. But he's just one win away, man. He's got a strong argument to make if he could pull off one more win. I don't think O'Malley's going to face him, though. Um, outside of that, Holly Holm, Yana Santos. Holly Holm actually looked better than ever in that she was more dynamic. But Yana Santos is clearly not a high-level fighter at all. Um, and, you know, Macy Barber did a decent job in a close decision. Nate Landwehr's a, a, a madman, absolutely insane. And CJ Vargara, I don't know if you saw that Daniel De Silva fight, man. He came back from a wall of oh, yeah. first round, which is exactly what yeah. I relied on is why I picked Vargara. <clears throat> but for him to be that big of a favorite was insanity. That's why he couldn't place a bet at those odds because Daniel De Silva's really dangerous early. Um, I think that'll do it for that one, man. Let's dive into UFC 287 Pereira versus Adesanya 2, or I guess depending on how you look at it, Pereira versus Adesanya 4 since they fought twice in kickboxing. Um, this should be intriguing, man. Given all the dynamics of the last fight, given the confidence shift in this one, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. You picked Pereira for two points last time because I wasn't making the pick and I didn't have those two points to gain. I edged Adesanya because I thought he would be the craftier, more technical, faster fighter, but both of those things came through, right? The the power that Pereira has and the, the craftiness of Adesanya through most of that fight. Uh, and and uh, Alex Pereira's left hook ended up winning the day for him. I think you have the first pick, Nick. You are two points up, 35 and a half points for you, 33 points for me. The way this works is that we each take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. At the end of Saturday night, we tally up all the points. Uh, a regular favorite or a close odds fight, if you pick it correctly, scores you one point. If you pick an underdog of plus 150, uh, to plus 249 correctly, you get two points. If you pick an underdog of plus 250 or above correctly, you score three points. Uh, both of us have taken advantage of those kinds of opportunities. Nick, I'm curious how this one's going to pan out. I'm trying to close the distance. What is your first pick? I love that this card has two Chilean, like super exciting Chilean strikers on it. Um, and I'm going to make my first pick is going to be uh, one of them. Uh, the 25-year-old heartthrob, Ignacio Bahamandes. Heartthrob. This kid's really fun to watch. I mean, we all saw it. He almost seemed younger than he actually is. I mean, he's 25. He's not like, you know, the other other super youngster on this card, Um, Raul Rosas uh, Jr., um, who's like, what is he, 11 years old? Um, no, he's like 18. Certainly in his teens. Um, but uh, Bahamandes is, is a is a prospect, and he had his prospect loss in a thriller against against John McDessie. Um But here against uh, is it Trey Ogden or Troy? I get them. I believe it's Trey Ogden. Trey Trey Ogden. Yeah, the Samurai Ghost. I think that this is a continue a continue to build him against a pretty low level gatekeeper here. And that Bamandes, who can win in all kinds of ways, is a really complete, uh, exciting fighter. Not unlike the Chilean elder statesman uh, Ponzinibbio, um, should be able to, uh, I, I think, score a finish here. Yeah, I'm not sure that he'll score a finish because Trey is pretty tough. Um, but Ignacio looked pretty good leading into that one-year exit. I'm not sure what was going on. I'm not sure if it was injuries, why he hasn't competed in about a year. But he has been out for a while. His record in the UFC is... Two and one, which is pretty respectable, but it's not exactly over the highest level of opposition. He beat Roosevelt Roberts, who wasn't a successful UFC fighter, as it turns out, ended up being cut. And Zhu Rong also wasn't a successful UFC fighter, also ended up being cut. So 
you know, there, there, there's some questions as to the level of competition. And Trey Ogden, say what you will, you know, a, a semi-competitive decision with Jordan Levitt and a win over Daniel Zellhuber. He was a big underdog against Daniel Zellhuber, who was another j- just, like, large striker who was supposed to be... He was a huge favorite. I think it was a, a minus 390 favorite over Ogden. And Ogden outpointed him on the feet, right? He didn't even take him to the zone where Zellhuber wasn't supposed to be as experienced. But Zellhuber, I think he had the bright lights in his face. I think the UFC debut affected him. I'm not convinced that that will be the case with Ignacio Bahamundes, but Bahamundes did take, did take this fight on relatively short notice. Uh, it's at a catch weight of 160 pounds, which I think could be a factor there. Uh, actually, you know what? seems like Trey Ogden is the fill-in for Nicholas Mota. So maybe it wasn't that short notice. Uh, Trey Ogden is probably the guy that asked for this to be a 160-pound catch weight fight since he cut weight a couple of weeks ago uh, in a canceled bout. So, look, I, I think it's a little bit closer than the odds suggest given the year layoff, given you don't know where truly Bahamundes is, and given that uh, Ogden has shown some some good things in that last bout. But I think that Bahamundes will put a pace on him that Ogden will not appreciate. He's going to pressure him to the back of the fence and not allow uh, not allow Ogden to pressure him. Um, and I, I think what's in Bahamundes' favor is that he trains with guys like Bilal Muhammad, who's one weight division up, a top you know three or four fighter at 170 pounds, a guy who can strike, a guy who can wrestle really, really well. Uh, there's a Dagestani in that camp who he trains with. So you know the the wrestling end of it should be should be on an upward trajectory. Um, I agree with you on the pick. It's just the odds are a little bit too uh, too, too one sided in this one. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Carl Williams and Chase Sherman. Chase Sherman, we all know who he is, right? He's the heavyweight who's going to show up, who's going to fight just about anybody. He trades at Kill Cliff F- uh, FC, which is a pretty solid camp. Uh, Black Zillions in the past, Sanford MMA in the past is what they were called. Uh, trains under Henry Hilft and the crew there. Look, he's got really good boxing, terrible head movement. He's extremely headable. He doesn't have a whole lot of heart once you know a guy really puts it on him. And Carl Williams has shown himself to be a serious prospect. It's concerning that he took this fight on short notice. But him being a guy who decided he's going to be fighting at heavyweight, which you know some concern there, but he's out wrestling these heavyweights. He really is. He scored eight takedowns in his UFC debut. He out wrestled a Penn State University wrestler in his contender series bout. Uh, he didn't look any worse for wear, especially considering he took that contender series bout on very short notice, and he was just full steam ahead the entire three rounds of that fight, granted against lower-level competition. I think Carl Williams should be able to land some strikes on the feet, um, not hang out there too much because there's a risk there. Get takedowns. Get on top of Chase Sherman. Make him uncomfortable. Make him want to quit. And uh, whether or not Chase Sherman makes it to the end depends on how much heart he's willing to exhibit here. Wow, I can't believe you're picking a heavyweight fight first. You're making a very good point. But Carl Williams, to me, like I said this before, I said this after his contender series bout, he gives me, and I'm not saying he's going to be nearly as great, right? Like, you can only expect so much out of any one prospect, but he gives me those John Jones vibes. He really does. Like, I think he's a real, real prospect. He's training with uh, with Eric Nixick at uh, Extreme Couture, high-level team, staying local in Vegas, which is not a bad thing, having the UFCPI there. Uh, I, I just, I see a lot of upside in this guy. I'm a, I'm a fan. Cool. Um, for my next pick, I'm going to go, I, mean, I think a bit tougher fight for him this time, but I'm going to go with the other kid on the card. I'm going to pick Raul Rosas Jr. I don't think that the hype train stops with Christian Rodriguez. Yeah, look, Christian Rodriguez trains at Rufus Sport, which is a really good, well-rounded uh, camp. He's got really good striking. He can be taken down. He works his way up to his feet. He's got decent submission defense, but Raul Rosas Jr., you know, he's explosive on the feet. He leaves, puts a lot, you know, uh, risks a lot when he throws on the feet. But he uses that crazy offense on the feet to set up his kind of 
explosive takedowns. And they're not necessarily like the most technical takedowns, but his aggression goes a long way. The pacing that he puts on his opponents goes a long way. He's able to get guys out of there that are not finished by high levels of competition. So I agree with you on Royal Russell Jr. I think he's going to be able to get takedowns. But, you know, the odds are relatively close here because because Rodriguez is a pretty good fighter. He's, he's, not, a, he's, yeah. not, he's not a can. And so uh, I, I don't disagree with you on the pick. I probably would have made it a little bit later than this. My next pick is going to be. Oh well, wait, 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 wait! I want to go. You're talking about Rufus Sport. Yeah. Do you do you really have faith in them after the CM Punk thing? After well, the Pettis C- decline? Wait, I'm not done. Punk. After Ty, after Tyron Woodley, wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't Woodley train there also? Woodley uh, Woodley actually, from what I understand, largely did not train there toward the end of his uh, MMA career. But that just, was that was his kind of go to team. But it sounds like he just kind of had his own training camp. Uh, that, that was kind of semi-connected to them. Um, but CM Punk, like, nobody was going to turn 40-year-old CM Punk into a good fighter, dude. Like, what can we really expect? What about, I mean, what about, you know, Pettis for the last five years? He, I just, took, I, it's just, you know, when we talk about, like, uh-huh. I, right, but that was a long time ago. Like, sure. I'm just saying that the last five, ten years, have they been, have they really been an elite camp? I don't know that they haven't. I'm just asking no, the question. No, no, you're, I, I, you're I, the, don't, I don't think they're an elite camp. I think they're a well-rounded camp, and that's why that's the term that I use. Like, I don't think they're one of the best three or four camps out there. They're a good camp, and their head coach, Duke Rufus, does have a shitload of experience. And he's got disciples who are having success as coaches out there as well, um, even including in Kill, uh, Kill Cliff FC. So, like... You know, he's, he's, he's a solid coach. Am I, do I think he's going to be turning out a bunch of champions? No, but this level of competition, we don't know if Raul Rosas Jr. is really something special yet. We know that he's a really good grappler. We know that there are stories about him apparently submitting Aljamain Sterling in the last year or two in practice, right, before he made his UFC debut. And Aljamain Sterling can say what he will about rolling loose or what have you. Like, like I was a pretty good grappler when I regularly trained grappling, and I was extremely hard to submit even by really good black belts. It's weird that he was able to submit Aljamain Sterling. There's something to this guy's ground game. Um, he's only 18 years old. I know this, and there's a maturity thing there uh, that potentially could be lacking. But he just seems so talented and aggressive. He's like he doesn't know any better but to realize that he could lose. Um, and I think it might get him past this one. Um, my next pick is going to be in the co-main event of the evening: Gilbert Burns facing off with George Masvidal. God damn it! I wanted this. You, you wanted that one, and and I see. Were you going to go on the three pointers on George Masvidal? Yes, I fucking Boy, was. I, really? I can't believe you're doing it so early. Interesting. Yeah, ugh. here's the thing. I'm I'm not going for the three pointer on George Masvidal here. I, I think I've I've got to edge Usman. Uh, I'm sorry. I've got to edge uh, Gilbert Burns. And here's the thing with Burns, right? He's shown that he has changed his career ever since he moved up to up from 155. His only losses in this division are to Kamara Usman, who was the champion, clearly, you know, widely considered number one pound for pound in the world until then. He had some really good moments against Usman. He had a really good fight with Kamzat Shumayev, right? And and Kamzat Shumayev is proving to be an elite guy who, like, gets guys out of there extremely quickly if you're not on par. And that was a back-and-forth war. And to be fair, like, I think a lot of people are giving him so much credit for being competitive with an up-and-comer like, like Shumayev. He still lost that fight, and it was competitive. Um... But he did dominate Neil Magny. He did dominate, more importantly, Stephen Thompson, man, who like doesn't get dominated a whole lot. Um, he you know, dominated Darren Woodley. I'm not sure it's impressive, but he knocked out Damian Maya. He was on his back against Damian Maya, got up to his feet, check-hooked him, got him out of there. Granted, it was the tail end of Damian Maya's career, but still, like there is something to him at 170. He's clearly more focused. He's more disciplined. His strength and conditioning program is more serious, although he's a guy that does get tired. His biggest weakness, Nick... Uh, from what I've seen in his last several fights, is the jab. Kamzat Chimaev dropped him with a jab. 
Kamaru Usman dropped him multiple times and ended up finishing him with a jab. George Masvidal can throw jabs, but he doesn't tend to. He's a power striker. George Masvidal, what we've seen from him ever since he got pretty wealthy after that Ben Askren and Nate Diaz matchups, right? He signed some big contracts. He made he made presumably millions of dollars in those two Kamaru Usman fights, maybe uh, around a million or two for that Colby Covington fight. He's a guy that came up from nowhere who was a journeyman most of his career, wasn't making a whole lot of money. I'm sure he was doing okay with, you know, between, you know, 40 and 80,000 a fight or so. Um, but, you know, he's largely been a journeyman. Look at his record, 35 and 16. Now he's talking about the fact that he's going to retire if he doesn't win this fight in his hometown after being on a three-fight losing streak, granted, to the best in the division, right? But we've seen Gilbert Burns be much more competitive with Usman than was Masvidal. Um, I think there's some concern because Masvidal's takedown defense is really good. And just because Kobe Covington was able to score some takedowns and Kamar Usman was able to score some takedowns on a short notice doesn't necessarily mean that Gilbert Burns will. Both of these guys used to fight at 155. There isn't necessarily a big size advantage for either guy. And both guys kind of tend to tire over the course of a fight. Gilbert Burns, I would say less so, especially since he's focused so much on the strength and conditioning. Another thing is that George Masvidal has all of these things going on in his life, man. He's his social media life. He he likes to party. He has this gang, or, you know, this group of guys around him at all times, and he's just having a good time in life. Um, his father lives with him in his in his Florida McMansion. Um, he has game bread, game bread. Uh, uh, you know, he's a promoter now, and I don't know how much work he does for it, but certainly at least promotional work. I assume he's attending these events, including one this past weekend, which is a pretty big one for Game Bread FC, and so. I wonder how focused he is on this. I wonder how distracted he is. I wonder how much that money has changed him. He's, he's, he went on social media to talk about the election and, and Donald Trump's indictment. Like, where is his focus, really? Is it on this fight? I'm not so sure. If you talk to Gilbert Burns, all he was focused on is this fight. Gilbert Burns is the best he's ever been in his career. George Masvidal is on the downslide. George Masvidal is not a young man. At age 38, at 170 pounds, not a great place to be. And I know that Gilbert Burns is not a young buck, but he's a couple of years younger and that, that over under 35, 36 can make a difference. Um, I, I still think Gilbert Burns, even though he might have a hard time getting takedowns here, unless Masvidal is really washed, I think he's going to at least be able to hold him against that fence in, in the attempt to make takedowns, get some control that way. Um, unless George Masvidal really invests in that jab, I don't like his chances here, but Burns has been clipped. He's been knocked out. George Masvidal absolutely has the skills to do that. He can absolutely knock out Gilbert Burns. Do I think the odds should be closer? Absolutely. Minus 450 for Burns and plus 360 for Masvidal is insane. But I figured I'd reserve this fight. Worst case, I might change my pick. But as of right now, I'm taking Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I just, I didn't have to squint too hard to envision, you know, 15 minutes, very, these rounds, like, in a five-round fight, I would definitely take Burns. Um... But I think I feel like sometimes it takes Burns a little bit to get going to find his place in a fight, and I, if he doesn't get those takedowns, there's something to Masvidal's accuracy, and I don't love Burns's striking defense. Um, I do think he's going to come in with a jab. I also think I get everything that you're saying about Masvidal, but like this, the only thing that stands between him and a really insane amount of money if he gets a fight like in London with Leon Edwards say is Gilbert Burns. And I think this is I think this has the possibility to be a bloody fight, but it's in his hometown and I think he's going to slice up I there's I just I can see him slicing up Burns enough that he gets a split decision. I don't think he fi- I don't I don't think he likely finishes Gilbert Burns, but I could see him doing enough damage in two rounds 
um, to win a contested decision. Um, and at these odds for three points, I was going to bet on that. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from, and your instincts have been pretty decent about this these last uh, these last couple of months. So you might be right. I'm, I'm curious to see how this shakes out. And again, like I have the opportunity if I want to go for the three points, I have the chance to switch my pick before the event. And so and so, you know, reserving this fight's not the worst thing for me. Uh, what is? Oh, and and uh, again, just you know what the biggest concern? Every fighter that goes into a fight that declares that retirement is on the loom or retire, they will retire if they lose. They don't do very well, man. The record is terrible in that circumstance unless they're fighting shitty competition. And the UFC doesn't tend to give you shitty competition on your way out. So that's another element to it, too. Like the fact that Masvidal's talking about retiring if he loses, not a good look. What's your next pick? I was so into this conversation, I forgot to... Uh, <laughs> line up that pick? Uh, yeah, I totally forgot to line up that pick. All right, I'm going to go... I'm gonna, I didn't get that underdog pick, so I'm going to go with my other one even though it's way too early to be picking this fight, but whatever. Um, oh, wow, I made a huge mistake before. I assumed that Ponsonibia... I said Ponsonibia was Chilean, and he's actually Argentinian. Oh, you didn't mention Ponsonibia, but, uh, you didn't mention Ponsonibia but, I, but I was wondering if uh, which fighter you were referring to. I wasn't sure who else was Chilean. I thought, yeah, he's not Chilean. He's, he's Argentinian. Right. My bad. Um, <clears throat> listen, Kevin Holland is a very dangerous striker. Super precise, slices guys up. Um, Ponzinibbio is no slouch, and he's also really resilient and can take a lot of damage. And he's—I feel like he's gotten something back after after that illness time. And usually, if there wasn't the opportunity for multiple points here, I would be picking Holland. Um, but I want my underdog points, and I also feel like this is too soon for Kevin Holland to come back after. The amount of damage he took from Wonder Boy, that was that was coach that was coach throwing the towel abuse, and it was four months ago. I do not believe that that's enough time to come to come back to face a a, a striker who's a savage, um, who's got who's got good power, who's got pretty good output now. I, I mean, I'm trying to hype myself up and convince myself because Holland's faster. Um, Holland's probably a bit more diverse, um, you know, in his strikes. But Ponzinibbio doesn't really go away. And I just wonder about Holland's durability coming off that fight. So I'm going to take a flyer. A little early, probably. I got these two at this two and a half point lead on you. I hope I'm not getting too careless like a guy that won a few bucks at the roulette table. Um <laughs> But I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Ponzinibbio here. Yeah, I mean it's you're making actually an excellent point about the fact that Holland's only four months removed from this rather savage beating that he took at the hands of Stephen Thompson. It was a very one sided fight. But Stephen Thompson is gonna do that against any aggressive striker. We've seen that time and again now, right? Uh, at this point in his career, I can't think of a single aggressive striker that didn't go wasn't really good at takedowns, didn't go for takedowns that Stephen Thompson did not beat up in the UFC, including George Mosfidal. Um, but in this case, uh, taking that, uh, that, that four months out of the equation, Kevin Holland, relatively young guy at age 30, healing shouldn't be the worst thing. It is concerning that you're right. He, he was basically retired on the stool and he wasn't arguing with it, right? This is a guy that at some point in his career would have been like, no, I, you know, I, I'll keep fighting. I'm fine. Let that fight go. And, and that was only four months ago. You're making a great point. Once you quit, there's no like, I'm pressing that button. That button gets much easier to press again. But Santiago Ponzinibbio, his output is not strong enough. He's not sharp enough of a counter striker. He's not 
uh, he doesn't have as much kind of size and reach parity with Kevin Holland um, as uh, you know as does Stephen Thompson with Kevin Holland having a three inch uh, height advantage uh, an eight inch reach advantage like that is significant Kevin Holland does really well against strikers not named Stephen Thompson beats Alex Oliveira granted lower level Tim Means lower level I know but still beat that guy right he's losing to guys that are grappling him Derek Brunson Marvin Vittori Kamzat Shemaev those are really the, the kinds of losses that, that he tends to take. Brendan Allen, another guy who, who was able to get the edge on him on the floor. Tiago Santos in his UFC debut uh, was on top several times throughout that fight. And I don't think that Ponzinibbio is going to go for that. And Ponzinibbio being at the age that he's currently at, with Kevin Holland being only 30, this being at 170 pounds. You know, I don't love these older fighters in these lower weight divisions. Um, uh, Ponzinibbio being, being 36, being at a near, uh, after a near-death experience just, just a couple years ago, and coming back and not looking all that awesome. He was losing that fight to Alex Morona pretty one-sidedly until he scored that third-round knockout. Morona took that fight on short notice, so there's a decent reason for him to be tired in that third round. I don't expect Kevin Holland to be that tired in the third round. I don't expect him to stick to the same level of punishment. Ponzinibbio being willing to stand with him, having low or output, not being able to reach him as well as he might other welterweights. Uh, I'm edging with Holland, but I understand why he took the two points. If this wasn't, if this, you know, this being worth two points certainly makes uh, Kevin Holland a lot more palatable of a pick, in my opinion. My next pick is going to be, I think I'm going to go for an under. Right, you mean you mean makes makes Ponzinibbio more palatable a pick? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, th- th- that is what I meant. If I said otherwise, um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Cynthia Calvillo and Lupi Godinez. Both these girls came into the UFC as pretty like serious prospects, right, for their wrestling. They were they were respected for ground games were decent, striking was developing and coming along. But the difference is that Cynthia Calvillo has come up on some really rough times recently. Uh, coming into this bout, she's she's kind of on a bad streak. And she arguably, you know, could be could be argued won that fight against Nino Nunes, but Nino Nunes was in her retirement fight, right? Like this is not the best version of Nino Nunes. On paper, she did take Nina Nunez down multiple times, so she went back to her kind of back to her basics. She looked overall better in that fight. She did lose to Andrea Lee, and quite honestly, she quit on the stool, and that's really concerning. Again, that's a button that is hard to unpress and gets easier to press once you press it. Once you have quit, you are going. You're more likely to quit much easier than you would have previously. Jessica Andrade pieced her up and got her out of there in the first round. Caitlin Shukay gained decision her prior to that, right? So the move up to 125 was not a successful one for her. The good news, or maybe bad news, is that she's coming back down to 115 for this one, facing Lupita Gudinas, who's got who's got a lot of the same strengths that she does, but she's a young, up-and-coming, competent prospect. Here's the thing. Would I give the edge to Lupita Gudinas, everything else being equal? Yeah, but that's with Cynthia Calvillo at plus 250 on two betting lines, at BetOnline and at uh, REF, I've got to pick Cynthia Calvillo with the chance of getting three points. There's a fair chance this is going to be a close competitive fight. Calvillo will not be the smaller fighter in this matchup as she has been at 125. She's faced some of the best at 125, all top tenors. Whereas Lupi Godinez, I'm not sure that she's shown the consistency. I know I picked Angela Hill to beat her. I'm less confident in this one. But at these odds, you got to go with Lupi. Um, Ariane Calnerosi is not a good fighter. Right, she she got she decisioned her, and that's fair. Loma Lugbumi is a good fighter, but she can give up takedowns, so the style matchup favors her. Whereas Cynthia Calvillo has only given up takedowns to one opponent uh, in her entire UFC career, and that was to Carla Esparza, who's got a similar frame and similar kind of skill set as Lupi Godinas. Not you know, Lupi doesn't have the same level of craft, um, and I just feel like Cynthia Calvillo might be able to edge out a close decision. Worst case, might even lose a competitive decision. I don't expect that she's going to get blown out or in a plus two fifty. I'm taking the three points.
Nikki. Uh, Nick, I think you are on mute, buddy. Yeah, that scares me that you just did that. That was a really good move you just made. Thank I you, feel man. like I got too. I feel like after winning for like six weeks, I got kind of Buster Douglas fat, and I'm just like <laughs> hanging around. And you just like swooped in, and that's you just made you just made the pick that could absolutely crush me. Nick, lose all my endorsement. There, there is all nothing, my endorsement deals. <laughs> there's nothing that guarantees that I just made a bad pick than you saying, "Oh man, I'm so uh, like you're saddened by the fact that I took a pick because you think it's a great one." Every time you say it, Nick, you curse my pick. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna seriously consider changing well, it from here on. Let's, Let's hope so. Yeah. Um, all right. This, I mean, stuff starts to get pretty tough now. I'm going to go with a main card fight. Listen, Adrian Yanez is really good. Um, but he has not, you know, getting Tony Kelly out of there, you know, isn't like, I'm not, you know, I, I think even like, a, an, even, an, even, an old, even an older bum like you, like Stan Dryev, hey. could get Tony Kelly out of there, I think. Tony Kelly is um, a really good fighter. Yeah, but you, were, you were pretty good too back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> Rob Font has been facing the elite, but uh, it's just one of those guys, right? Where he had that uh, his camp, you know, along with he and Calvin Qatar uh, or Calvin Cater were ascending around the same time and had some terrific fights, and they were. I, you felt like they were, you know, steel sharp and steel. Um, and then they've both taken some – and uh, Calvin ate some decisions that weren't great, but he also ate some beatings from, like, Max Holloway. But, um, you know, Font-Aldo was a good fight, but Font uh, but Font took some damage there. And Font-Vera um, was a lot of damage. So he's now, da- he's now danced with the best, right? Or the people right just a level below the best, and he's come up short. So when he's facing a young, hungry prospect who doesn't really know uh, what it's like to, you know, to taste defeat in the UFC, his only he's got a couple of losses from like six years ago in LFA, um, one to Miles Johns, one to Domingo Pilarte, um, and but and then one like ten years ago. So like the twenty nine year old Yanez, I just feel like has the confidence right now. And Rob Font is—he's no longer ascending. He had that, you know, those four wins: Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, Marlon Moraes, and Cody Garbrand. Those last two guys on the, you know, w- like past their sell date. And I just feel like you've got a guy who was ascending, who is now a gatekeeper, <clears throat> against a guy who seems absolutely hungry to plow through that gate. And I take the momentum of Yana's in this uh, in this fight. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Here's the thing: Yana's has shown that he's a slow starter. And Rob Font, even in a lot of those losses, he looked really good for the majority of those fights. It's just his durability is not where it used to be. Can he piece him up with jabs? Yeah, we've seen a, we've seen multiple fighters land jabs with success against Yana's, especially early on, where he kind of gets his reads and gets his game going. But he gets really aggressive near the end of that first round, early second round, and. I wonder how Rob Font's going to react to that. I tend to think like Rob Font's, you know, he took a year off after some of the beatings that he took over the last few fights where he was dropped so many times. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be enough at age 35 and 135 pounds. Adrian Yanez, he makes mistakes. He can be hittable, especially in the first round. But I don't think Rob Font's going to get him out of there. I think Adrian Yanez starts to really take over toward the latter half of that first round and eventually should be able to 
should be able to score a finish unless Rob Font really has done some recovering and really is in a better place uh, in his ability to take punishment. It's just Rob Font, like if you look at it, right, his he was on a four-fight losing streak against guys like Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, Marlon Marais, and Cody Garbrandt. That's really impressive stuff. Like, yeah, Marlon Marais and Cody Garbrandt weren't where they used to be. But, although, I, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was the second guy to knock out Mar- um yeah, he, after Corey Sanhagen knocked him out, he was the second next guy to, uh, to, to knock out Marais. Here's the thing. I know a couple of those guys were on the downturn, but Ricky Simone was on the uptick. Sergio Pettis was on the uptick, and he beat those guys. He looked pretty good in those situations. Then Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera, he was winning most of those fights, except when Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera hurt him multiple times throughout that fight. And I think it might be a similar dynamic here. He's looking pretty good early. Yanez ends up landing some... Bigger strikes, his aggression starts to take over, his power, his durability being a factor, right? He can be hit, but he's very durable. He's a very young guy. And again, at 135 pounds, you don't want to be the 35-year-old guy facing the young, hot, hot, up-and-coming prospect who also happens to have a decent bit of experience. Adrian Yanez is 16-3. and three. At this point, he is 5-0 and oh in the UFC, so he's got a decent bit of experience under him going up against, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, an old-timer who's on his way down. So I agree with you on the pick. I, I think you're making it at a decent time, too. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between... Uh, let me say, I'm glad I have your fucking approval from, from the second place spot. You're welcome, Nick. You're welcome, buddy. Uh, next, I'm going to pick the matchup between Steve Garcia and Shaolin Noranbeki. There's definitely some risk here. I think the odds are a little bit too wide apart. But Shaolin has shown that he's a really good offensive wrestler. He's pretty durable. He can stay calm in tough moments. Steve Garcia has shown that he's very, uh, he's relatively easy to take down. He can be aggressive and he can put it on guys. Maybe he hit a new stride based on what we saw in his last matchup uh, against Chase Hooper. But I've got to go with Shailene Norenbeck. He was kind of involved in that controversial fight where Derek Minner basically took a dive against him. James Krause, you know, made a shitload of money off it or, or was close to making a shitload of money off it if the sports books didn't get on him for it. Um, so he was involved in it, even though he didn't actually have anything to do with the weird with the weird uh, finish there. But he's 3-1 in the UFC. His one loss being to Joshua Kulubel is a really good fighter. Steve Garcia makes a lot of mistakes. He's very hittable. He's aggressive, and he's relentless, and he's got a lot of heart. But I don't know if that'll be enough against the guy who's going to keep putting him to the floor and controlling from top position. There's risk here. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to pick the main event. Um, it worked for me last time. I am going to go with Alex Pahea. I Izzy's good. I'm sure Izzy's going to look terrific. I don't... I just don't think he can put Pahea down. I don't. And I. the other thing is, I think that... Just tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm trying to remember here. Pahea had the, the more successful offensive grappling in that fight, Correct. No, Israel Asani had about five uh, minutes of control. They both, they each got a takedown against the other, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's okay. That's right. That's right. But I feel like, um, I feel like Izzy's going to be more concerned about that. Is going to be more concerned about and looking for that, which is going to allow Pahea more. That's that's when people get caught. Everything gets everything changes when you start. Guessing fastball or changeup, not knowing if if a takedown is coming, you know, versus versus offense, and Pahea, if he catches you, if you if you guess wrong, like the the consequences of catching wrong uh, of guessing wrong are just worse. 
if you're if you're fighting Alex Pahea because of his power, because when he when he hits you, um, you know when he when he hits you, he he seems to hurt you. Adesanya is everything. He's got the great footwork. He's resilient. Um, you know he can strike, but like psychologically, this guy's put him, you know, put him down twice, um, and won three times. It's like. Even if Adesanya wins this, he's still one in three against the guy. Like, you know, I mean, good for for Alex for like you know for taking the fight. He's got everything to lose here. Um, but I I think his confidence after beating Adesanya in MMA uh, should be even higher. I you know listen, Glover Teixeira did not look great against against uh, uh, Jamal. Um, but that's because Glover Teixeira is old, not because he's not a great fighter. Um, I, I believe that the, I believe I believe in that camp. I love the I love the way that those guys fight. I love the way that Pahea came out for that fifth round. Like he's just a killer, and I don't see him letting Adesanya take his belt away. I just don't. I th- I think. Um, Maybe this one goes to a decision, um, but I think I think the champion retains. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one because you know I picked Adesanya last time not because I didn't believe that Oxburgh could hurt him, and obviously having twenty five minutes to hurt him gives him so much opportunity, but because I I just from their previous matchups, Israel Adesanya just looks like the much slicker guy, He's defensively so aware. Um, my concern was that Israel was not as aggressive in the matchups leading up to that last Pereira fight as he had been in the previous Pereira fights, which was the key, right? His high output was the key to him winning that fight. And he had pretty high output in that, in that, uh, in that, you know, their first kind of MMA fight for the title last time. It's only been about six months since that fight. So there was some concern about Israel, you know, how much recovery has he done, but he wasn't knocked out cold. He was basically rocked and it makes a difference. And he's arguing that it's because his leg was hurt, which is why he stumbled leading up to that stoppage. Um, because Alex Pereira landed a bunch of leg kicks, right? So that's another factor. Um, that Alex Pereira is not only dangerous with the left hook, he's dangerous with a lot of his strikes, he's particularly dangerous with his kicks that set up his left hook in multiple ways, right? Uh, he's dangerous with his jab that sets up his left hook. And I think Israel Adesanya, again, like on paper, he has so many advantages, the speed, the reflexes, uh, maybe not durability and power, but skill-wise, just about everything else is in Israel Adesanya's favor. Last time out, Adesanya won three rounds. Pereira won only that second round. And Adesanya hurt him pretty badly in the first round of their fight. And honestly, it was with a second or two left. Could he have potentially finished him had there been a minute left on the clock? Maybe, possibly. Um, I think that Pereira's not the type of guy to just crumble when things start going against him. And I don't know that uh, Adesanya is a pretty serious finisher, though, once he hurt, does hurt you. So that could have very well been a finish for Adesanya. Um, Adesanya should have won that first kickboxing bout. He lost the decision. It should have been his. That second kickboxing bout, Adesanya was largely in control, and Alex Pereira knocked him out with the left hook out of nowhere. This last fight, Adesanya was largely in control. Pereira, uh, I'm sorry, Pereira knocked him out out of nowhere in that in that kickboxing bout. And again, same thing here. Adesanya largely in control. Pereira gets a knockout. Um, I, I do. I, I'm going to give the edge to Adesanya again here, and maybe I'm being silly. I just feel like it's the kind of thing where if these guys fight ten times, Adesanya is probably going to win three or four. Maybe two or three, right? And this should be the one. I mean, th- this is going to be their fourth competition against one another. Um, as long as Adesanya is mentally where he should be, I have some concerns about his his, his mentality, about his uh, about like his confidence going into this bout. And this is a guy that fights well when he's confident. 
but we've seen him come back from losses. It's not his first time. Um, and I, I think this is a situation in which he can probably edge out Pereira. Uh, I think Adesanya is going to be more mindful defensively of those leg kicks, and he's going to he's going to know how to address them. I think he's going to be going for uh, he's going to be trying to win more rounds in the grappling department. I wonder where his cardio will be for that. I'm sure he's trained a lot of wrestling in this camp, and a lot of the footage that you see of him is up against the cage is getting takedowns is 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 working his grappling into the game and he's you know made allusions to that as well um i'm gonna edge out asanya because i think he's the slicker better faster guy on the feet alex Pereira, he hits hard but he's pretty slow man he's pretty high output he's he's fearless but i can see adesanya using that to to get those top positions to get those takedowns i wouldn't have picked it this early especially not for two points i think the real value in you picking alex Pereira last time was because he was around a plus 150 underdog at a plus 135 dog this time, you know, it's, it's harder to be confident. But look, we might be looking back at this and going, why in the hell was Israel Adesanya the favorite over this man twice, even though he's only lost to him? Maybe Alex Pereira can do it again, but I, th- I just feel like Alex Pereira's been matched up with a bunch of strikers, and I don't think Israel Adesanya by any means is going to finish him if he does get takedowns, but I don't like his odds of, uh, I don't like um, uh, Pereira's odds of just winning rounds. And I'm not sure that I can rely on him rocking Adesanya. He didn't rock him that badly last time, but he did rock him. And rocking Adesanya to the point of not being able to, uh, not being able to, to uh, for Adesanya to, to basically get finished. So I, I'm, I'm going to edge Adesanya, and I'm glad you're making this pick because this is one of my least confident uh, ones on this card. Uh, with the odds being close, I, I wouldn't take the risk on it. Yeah, I mean, two other things to consider. Mm-hmm. There was a period where there were two kinds of momentum infusing Israel Adesanya with confidence, potentially. Mm. It was the fact that he had two, two buddies um, who were African nationals or who were, who were um, you know, of African descent. Uh, and they had these, these three African champions, right? Two from Nigeria, and, uh, of Nigerian descent, and one from um, Cameroon. Yep. And also, so there was a real, you know, like, sense of camaraderie there, but also a sense of a bit of a, of, of a takeover. And you also have city kickboxing, and with, which had for a long time a sense of invulnerability right. around it. And, you know, Volkanovsky, like, I mean, he was awesome and stuff, but he did, he is awesome. Um, probably the best in the world, but he did lose that fight. So there's like, there, there's just these, I, I wonder, Izzy's a weird dude. And, and I just wonder um, if those sorts of, things infuse him with a sense of confidence and invulnerability and with some of the with that all being compromised now with none of those guys having belts um and and Volk coming off of his first UFC loss does he carry does he carry any of that with him does he lose some some of the psychological armor that he may have entered the cage with previously maybe I'm being foolish here but I, I do wonder about things like that these are all good 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 points that you're bringing up and and again, it's concerning the way that Israel Adesanya is speaking. He's kind of getting emotional about the fact that he can't wait for this fight. He can't wait to get this win to to, to put it behind him. Um, you know, you got to wonder about his uh, about the way that he acts sometimes before fights. But he tends to win those fights. There were other matchups in which I was like, I don't know. He's looking nervous. He's looking a little bit cumbersome uh, in the in the pre-fight media stuff. And he ends up coming through. I just feel like he's the kind of guy that has so many fights at this point. Over a hundred fights in his career between kickboxing and uh, MMA and I just feel like he's got the experience to come back against the guy who's only seven and one in mixed martial arts. 
seven and one, right? Like the experience gap is huge. And I tend to think that even if uh, Pereira is able to get this win, is he able to shore up his defense to the point where he can beat some of those really good grapplers in this division? That's still a question to answer. And I think win or lose, he's going to face some of those grapplers. If he loses this fight, I think Vittori uh, might be a matchup that the UFC draws for him. Although if he loses this fight, they might just go for a third matchup, right? Because now they're one-on-one in mixed martial arts. Uh, there's a good chance that we might just go through a whole cycle of another six months to a year of these two guys facing each other if Adesanya does pick up the win. But yeah, there's there's a lot of variables which make this intriguing, which make this interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, man. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Kelvin Gastelum and Chris Curtis. The line Glad you're swing. picking this one. Yeah, you, you don't have much confidence. And, and look, it's it's, it's just a hard it's a hard one to pick. I like both of these guys, but it's a hard fight to pick. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, it, it just seems like Chris Curtis is kind of on the smaller side for 185. He's 5'10", 75 inch reach, which is actually is, is not bad for 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 middleweight. Kelvin Gastelum though is smaller. He's 5'9", with a 71 inch reach. Kelvin Gastelum, who you know has less than four strikes landed per per minute. Um, Chris Curtis, who sometimes looks low output lands almost six strikes per minute. I, I think a lot of it is because of his high accuracy. He lands about 56% of his strikes, which is really impressive. Like, if you're in a boxing match and you land 56% of your strikes, you are most certainly winning a decision unless you're just taking every strike that your opponent throws. Um, but the thing is that Curtis absorbs more strikes than he lands. And that's, like, a little bit concerning here. Um, Curtis absorbs 6.39 strikes per minute. But Gastelum doesn't throw that much. Gastelum's offense is very, very basic. He throws... Jabs, he throws jab crosses from that southball stance. Occasionally mixes in the left kick, but really his whole game is built around landing that left hand and when he's willing to go for takedowns, those takedowns. Curtis has really good takedown defense. He has not been taken down in the UFC. It's at 100% his takedown defense rate is, uh, whereas Gastelum's takedown accuracy is 32%. Gastelum is looking washed. He had pretty serious case of staph infection last time. I feel like he's not in a great place, and even though this line is, is moving back and forth and Chris Curtis is currently an underdog, I've got to go with the guy with the upwards trajectory. We've seen Chris Curtis basically get outpointed at a distance. We've seen him get out-wrestled early in his career. Um, I don't think that Kelvin Gastelum is likely to do either of those things. I don't think Kelvin Gastelum, with his lack of reach advantage, with his lack of height advantage, is going to be able to pot shot him from a distance, um, as we've seen Jack Hermanson be able to pull off. And Jack Hermanson blew through uh, this version of Kelvin Gastelum, whereas Chris Curtis, you know, lost a tepid decision, to be fair, right? But the fact that Kelvin Gastelum currently is 1-5 and in his last six fights the fact that his uh really his his only wins are over ian heinrich who didn't quite cut it in the ufc jacare souza and michael bisping who are both retired and tim kennedy who was coming back from retirement and johnny Hendricks, who was on the brink of retirement and nate marquardt who was on the brink of retirement jake ellenberger back in 2014 who was heading toward retirement right like like uh, this- he also almost let's not forget that he yeah. beat the shit out of adesanya yeah, he had some great <laughs> moments against Adesanya. I just feel like that fight, it feels like that fight took everything out of him. Oh, yeah. He has not I agree been with the that. same since. In fact, since that Adesanya fight, he is one and four. One and five if you count that Adesanya fight. So he's just not in a great place. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to do well here. He left uh, the team that he was historically with uh, for years and, and is now training with Yuma United Martial Arts, which I'm not familiar with. I, I'm not sure if they have any legitimately high level fighters. Um, I, I've, I've got to go with. Uh, I've, I've got to go with the guy who's on the upward trajectory, who's training regularly with guys like Sean Strickland, who's in one of the better gyms on planet Earth in Vegas, where you have the UFC PI accessible as well. Uh, who's the bigger guy in this matchup in which Chris Curtis is often the smaller guy? He does well against these uh, fellow small middleweights, as we saw in his last matchup, um, and I think he's going to do well here. So, um, good breakdown. 
Uh, for my next pick, um, I'm going to take uh, the American Top Team fighter in what I think is her, uh, yeah, her UFC debut, um, Jacqueline Amorim, uh, to defeat Sam Hughes, who's never really uh, particularly impressed me. Um, you know, in a in a pretty in a pretty shallow division still. She's uh, you know she has those wins over Elise Reed and Estela Nunes, but she's uh, yeah she's lost to some not terrific uh, opposition, and I feel like she's getting she's getting fed to an up and comer here from a top gym. Yeah, I mean, Jacqueline is six and zero. Oh. The the concern about that is that she has never been out of the first round, and that is really concerning. We see a grappling match on her record back in two thousand nineteen. And that was a loss, and that went to points. Like, I wonder what her conditioning is going to be like. She's powerful. She's pretty explosive. Has some power in her hands. Is an extremely opportunistic finisher, almost Ronda Rousey-like, in that she just explodes into a submission out of nowhere before you realize what's happening. Or, in the middle of a scramble, catches a deep submission, and you have no way out. But that's against lower level of competition. If you look at her overall record, the last opponent was 4-3. and three. Opponent prior to that was 3-1-1. One, and one. Prior to that, 1-0. and oh. Prior to that, 0-0. Oh, oh. Prior to that, 3-4. and four. Prior to that, 0-0. Oh, oh. Right? Like, if you combine the records of all of her opposition, there's a combined, what, maybe 17 wins and probably a combined, like, 12 losses. So she doesn't have really the experience. It's to her credit that she's an American top team. Um, I just feel like if Sam Hughes makes it through the first round, it could be that the lack of experience and lack of conditioning of uh, Emma Rim becomes a real factor. Um, but because Amarim trains an American top team with a top-level gym, I tend to think they, they put her through the ringer and they got her prepared, as prepared as she could be. Unless she's really surprised by those UFC lights, I'm leading her way as well. But Sam Hughes could absolutely make it through the first round and then take over. She's done it multiple times to athletic, powerful prospects who are big favorites over her. This could be another case of that. But uh, I tend to edge uh, Amarim's way. I'm, I'm hoping that she is as serious of a prospect as she seems like very early in her career. I just feel like she's getting thrown into the UFC pool way earlier than she should. My next pick, and this is going to be the last pick for either of us, um, I think I'll pick from the Gerald Mearchart Joe Pfeiffer fight. Joe Pfeiffer is on that on that in that Philly team, including Sean Brady and Andre Petrovsky, who are having a lot of success in the UFC as a grappling-based gym. He's a powerful, athletic man, good takedowns, uh, really good, like pretty sneaky submissions, uh, kind of power submissions more than anything else. Has good control from top position, explosive and powerful standing up. The thing about Gerald Merchard is that we've seen him time and again get through these up-and-coming prospects who are supposed to mow him over, who are, who are bigger favorites even than Joe Pfeiffer is in this matchup, who have more experience than Joe Pfeiffer does, and he tends to edge them out. If you if you look at his record, right, the guys he loses to are Christoph Jotko, who's got a shitload of experience, although that's a concerning loss. Uh, who Christoph Jotko just lost in his PFL debut in a very close fight, which is concerning. Uh, Kamzat Chimaev, he lost to Ian Heinich, he lost to Eric Anders, he lost to, right, like, there's some guys that he lost to, granted, some of them very close to decisions like Eric Anders probably should have gone his way Kevin Holland arguably should have gone his way back in the day um he just you know he, he beat guys like Bruno Silva who's a really heavy hitter Dustin Schulfos is not an awesome uh fighter but he still finished that guy right he finished Bruno Silva he he finished Mahmoud Baradov who was seen as a very serious prospect who was piecing him up early and again his chin held up there I think I'm gonna go for the two points on Gerald Merchart um this is again a, 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 a tough fight to pick I just feel like Joe Pfeiffer is probably gonna be ready for all three rounds but at some point, he might just make a mistake if he can't get Gerald Merchart out of there early. He could very well just land a bomb and win the fight that way. But I'm going to I'm gonna go with Gerald Merchart's experience. He fights in slow motion, but he fights at the same pace the entire three rounds. And his opponents tend to start to, uh, start to kind of die out in energy over time, and he takes advantage of it. I'm going to take Gerald Merchart for two points uh, as a flyer here. 
Yeah, I largely I largely agree with you. I, I was saying I think you've picked really well today, so I'm a little bit concerned. Um, so the, which we as a backup uh, backup fight, who do you take? Because there's only one left, right? Uh, yeah, there's the the Luana Pinheiro versus Michelle Waterson matchup. Uh, who are you leaning toward in that matchup? I'm leaning towards uh, Pinheiro. I, I love Waterson. I just I just think she's kind of like over the hump in terms of age and like and her size has always been. Uh, you know, tough. I do hear that. I think I'm going to lean toward Michelle Watterson who's coming off of, uh, granted, a loss, but against a more athletic, more dynamic, more experienced, top-level opponent. And she won that first round in her last matchup against uh, Amanda Lemos, and then she ended up getting finished via, via guillotine. It's not likely to go this way against Luana Pinero, who, again, looks explosive, looks sharp on the feet, tends yeah. to get slightly tapered off over over the course of a fight, tends to get a little bit more tired. And Michelle Waterson, I don't think he's going to enter the pocket with her. I think he's going to keep her at kicking range um, and pot shot her from there. And Michelle Waterson has the option of takedowns. She can potentially get takedowns in this one. I just hope she doesn't go for that head and arm throw, although that might work pretty well in this matchup. Um, I just feel like somebody with this experience gap, uh, Waterson losing to Amanda Lemos, Marina Rodriguez, Carlos Barza, Joanna Janjacek, those are her losses in the last several years. Tisha Torres, Rosanna Mayunas prior to that, takes a top-level fighter to beat her. She still gets wins over the Angela Hills, the Carolina Kovalkiewicz, Felice Herrigs of the world, the Courtney Casey's of the world, and I feel like uh, Luana is likely a little bit closer to the latter than the, than the women that tend to beat um, Michelle Waterson. So I'm, I'm going to give Waterson the edge. If she was a two-pointer, I probably would have picked her earlier in this competition. But because the odds are a little bit, a little bit closer than that, um, I ended up, I ended up uh, leaving it off of my docket. That'll do it for this one, man. I, I am, uh, I'm. Uh, look, is it one of the best pay-per-views of the year? Absolutely not. Is it a pretty good overall fight card, especially after a week of no UFC? Yeah, I think it is. And, uh, and, and I hope that you know Adesanya and Pereira can make some money on this, and I hope we come out with some serious prospects and contenders coming off of this one. Uh, Nikolai, next up, we have got, uh, on the 15th of April, we've got um, Max Holloway versus Arnold Allen. And that is going to be freaking awesome, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Maybe That's got the potential to be a real changing of the guard fight. Yeah. Um, I've got to get off to a meeting. Awesome. But I can't wait to see how, uh, how this nets out. I'm definitely scared for my, uh, for my position. Uh, you shouldn't see. be being two and a half points up gives you a little bit of a buffer. Worst case, we might. Worst case for you, I think we might end up. Yeah, Cynthia Cynthia Cavillo wins. It's all gar- it's, it's all over for me. All right. Yeah. So my future relies on the confidence of Cynthia Cavillo. Yes, sir. Um, on that note, you have a great one. We'll catch up next week. You too, bud.